You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to Rule of Three as we get to come at you on Windy City Gridiron's podcast, podcasting channel. Me, Brandon Robinson, and Danny Meehan getting the chance to break down this week six Carolina Panthers victory that put the Bears at a raucous five and one. Now, there's a lot of good in this game and a lot of bad in this game that we will have the chance to get to, as has been reflected by quarterback Nick Foles and coach Matt Nagy. But first, guys how are y'all doing Danny how's the week been oh good man just got off shift this morning and ready to talk x's and o's some bears and have some fun along the way let's go absolutely Brandon how about you no complaints five and one is a uh, very good thing absolutely even and if you I, had complaints no one was listening to you anyway well you know I'll there's hear. plenty of complaints being thrown around so you wouldn't be alone if you had some this was a weird weird win even going back to re-watching because i don't know about you guys but for every time i saw either phase do something really really good i saw <clears throat> specifically the offense do something really really bad like not to steal pro football focus's grading mechanism but if you were scoring on style points the bears might end up with negative style points despite technically doing a lot of things well real weird game to talk about and frankly it's why i'm glad we've got 45 minutes to an hour to talk about it because it'll take a hot second but when it comes to initial impressions did anything stick out to y'all in particular i mean i think nick Foles kind of said it best in his most animated press conference you're ever going to get from Nick Foles and you'd rather win ugly than lose pretty but (laughs) it's not like the game was an aesthetically pleasing one to watch I mean the defense was tremendous the offense left a lot to be desired we'll probably continue to do that majority of the games left on the schedule especially with the next three game stretch coming up for me, I just I just expect it by now. So I'm <laughs> I, I'm just I'm just happy with the win because like I I predicted they were gonna lose, so I'm happy to be wrong, and I'm looking for as many of these ugly wins as we can possibly get. Brandon, I think you've got a good uh, a good solution here going. Where if you bet against the team and oh, then yeah. they win, you can't lose. <laughs> All the- lose. <laughs> exactly. What's really funny about this offense, like I want to start at this really high level because if you go back to 2007 or like 2008, you know, the days before the league exploded to an average of 25 and a half points, this kind of offensive performance where, let me break it down, right? So the defense gets you an early interception. And what does your offense do? They cash in with a touchdown. Take out the style points because, again, timeout that came from almost a delay of game that led into a delay of game, all this stuff, super bad. But they cash in nevertheless, 
Carolina comes down, they get a field goal. The offense answers, field goal, 10 to, or 10 to 3. Carolina gets another field goal. The offense steals points at the end of the half. They're trading back and forth, still up by seven. First team to score in the, in the second half, it's the Bears. They get a touchdown, double the lead. Carolina comes back, uh, scores a touchdown. What does the offense do? immediately responds with a field goal and sure they don't close out the game at the end but i was born and raised on teams that wished they had an offense that again when you got down to the result delivered what the bears did and it's a weird game to say that about because this carolina defense isn't bad but also and brandon i think you hinted at this well last week this is a defense that's really hard to track because they are getting better and better and better every single week their coaching has been outstanding they were one of the worst units in football to open the season they are not anymore to say the least and while it's weird to grade i think the best thing i could come out with this game saying is that clearly we don't require a running game to score some points and if the bears offense even at what are they 26 in the nfl with about 21 and a half points 21 and a half was about what i was anticipating and as long as as we've seen with the bucks and the panthers they can actually score that real 20 points a game I actually like the Bears in a lot more contests than I probably should. You know what I mean? Yeah, as long as they stay a little bit above water and keep scoring, and hopefully they keep improving. But as you said, like that running game, just they'll need it eventually. And, I mean, expecting – coming into the week, expecting them to be able to run the ball against a poor run defense and just not being able to do it, even when you have numbers in the run game, I mean, that's, that's not really what you want to see. So, I mean, hopefully that, that develops as the season goes on. Without a doubt. I mean, I'll be the first to tell you, I started on a positive note because I know there's a lot of negativity to talk about. And my dreams of this being a great offense have definitely died. And at this point, it would take the Bears shocking me to have to pull that off because I'm just going to say it if you guys won't. With Rashad Coward in at left guard and a whole bunch of other pass-blocking specialists like Charles Leno, who, don't get me wrong, he can do his job in zone blocking, but he there's a reason that the Bears' success in that outside zone scheme came from running away from him and letting him just cut block the end and call it good. Like, there are a lot of these guys that I don't look at as incredible blockers on this offensive line and with white hair kind of seeming to step back from a B plus to almost like a C plus B minus player. This is an offensive line I'm really getting worried about because I don't see how they would ever stand a chance against running the ball on like an Aaron Donald front. No, I mean, it's, it's not even like it's, you can try to cover it up now. Juan Castillo is doing the, best he can even though he wasn't there this past week with what he's got but as anyone who's ever played a game at a certain point whether it be baseball football basketball whatever it might be at the end of the day jimmies and joes are better than x's and o's you can only coach something so hard before sometimes a guy just isn't that good rashad coward isn't just bad he's awful at not even rosterable no, like he's I, – I don't think he's on a team unless he's on the Bears. I wish any I, of that was hyperbole, guys. Oh, my word. Yeah, and it's like – and then even then it's like, like you said, Whitehair's regressed. Daniels was probably their best offensive lineman until he ruptured his pec. So now you're relying on guys like Leno, who's 
again, I don't hate Leno. I think he's a serviceable starting middle of the pack left tackle, which is hard to find, especially when you got him in the seventh round out of Boise years ago. He might and, even be somewhere around 20th, 21st. Like we can, it's hard to tell it, because we're five weeks into the season, but either way, a lot of people are saying he's benchable. I don't think you understand what Jason Spriggs would look like out there. Like yeah. he wouldn't stand a chance against the Brian Burns in the world. And even then, like, you know, um, I'm, Bobby Massey is, he's huge. Like he's hard to miss out there, but he's not great. He's, he's again, probably in that 16 to 20 ish range of starting right tackles. So a lot of, I think what might've been the first few weeks where they were running the ball a little more successfully and everything, it might've been a little bit of smoke and mirrors of them getting a lot and kind of, it's just a change in personnel and how they're running the football and the way they're being coached. At the end of the day, not much changed up front. Well, it helps certainly when I think at the moment DVOA has the Lions as the worst defensive front in football, but I'd have to go back and check. The point being that a defensive front in the Lions that used to have Snacks Harrison that has been known for being pretty good against the run in the past is not this year. Leonard Williams and the Giants haven't exactly helped themselves in terms of the way they stop the run. They don't do a great job with it. So maybe the Bears just did what a lot of teams do and played the easiest competition first, much like the Rams, but we'll get that in later. And that this offensive line hadn't improved near at the level that we thought they would. This is all possible. But at least at that point, you can tip your or you can turn and say, well, the passing game kind of works. And so far, I mean, again, I kind of said this last week, for better or for worse, the Bears are living and dying by Nick Foles' arm. And that freaks me out long term. But hey, at the moment, it's 2-0. And that's real weird. The other thing I'd like to touch on before we move forward is I see a lot throughout the social media networks that we have of this wanting to trash Matt Nagy's play calling. And you touched on it last week, Robert. If a play caller is winning six to seven out of every ten play calls, they're calling a pretty damn good game. But at the end of the day, there is one truth in football, especially when it comes to offensive play calling. If you can't block, you can't call a game. It doesn't matter if it's pass blocking or run blocking. If your guys up front aren't doing their job, you're making your life infinitely times harder to do anything offensively. That's not film study. That's just basic understanding of how football works. I, I will jump in here really fast, though, and say that while the first couple play calls were in large part some failures on Coward's part, he missed some assignments, as well as the Panthers kind of just happening into good defenses, which believe me, Bears fans, you've never heard me say that on a podcast. It does happen where sometimes, for instance, they called at one point an inside stunt where the defensive tackle scraped to his left. That means he just pushes left immediately. And the linebackers came in and filled, and suddenly a play that's only supposed to take on one linebacker was taking on two. And you don't really scheme for that when you're looking at a front. That's just a defense calling the right play, and your hole happened to be right there. 
It happens. That's football sometimes. But I will say that especially around the second half, Matt Nagy's whole, look, I'm going to run it on first down so that people stop complaining at me and then we're going to throw the ball. Matt Rule picked up on it. And there's a reason that those first runs in the third quarter went for negative one yards, negative one yards, negative one yards, and started hacking down that YPC. Because past a certain point, Rule just started sending anti-zone run blitzes and they worked because anybody could have called those plays from orbit. So I will just, for the sake of fairness, again, if we're going to throw the flamethrower around, let's burn everything that deserves it. Oh, I'm not throwing a flamethrower. I'm just saying, inevitably, the offense is never going to look good because they can't block. Oh, I agree with that. I'm only saying that in the world of, like, when we call run plays, let's call some on second down and some on first down because what they started doing, which was sort of a run-pass-pass, and again, granted, it scored 20, 23 points with some help from the defense, so it's it's not, like, super horrible, but Rule and the Panthers definitely started picking up on it and shut it down for good reason, and I hope that improves going forward. Well, part of the problem is not being able to run the ball at all on first down because if it's second and 10, second and nine, second and eight, like you're pretty much forced to pass the ball because it doesn't make sense at all to run the ball. That makes sense. You're not, you're not, you're most likely not going to run for a first down and you're not playing for third down. So you're just, you're forced into the, you're forced into those tendencies and that's the last thing you want to do. That makes a ton of sense. I mean, you don't want to let the defense tee off on your guys. So sure, you're going to, you're not going to throw on first down either when you could finally protect him with a run and then it doesn't work, which only leads to a vicious cycle. That totally makes sense to me. And it's, it's not going to get better against the Rams, but hopefully they can grind out enough points. Where Aaron, Aaron Donald is going to eat Rashad Coward's lunch over and over and over again. Not a matchup I want to see like, uh, but What I will say, and what does give me hope about this Rams defense, or not this Rams defense, this Rams game, and we'll get more into a direct preview. Let's definitely keep this a little more focused on Carolina. Our defense was outstanding. I mean, I couldn't come away with a more positive performance. And for crying out loud, I mean, there are some ticky-tack calls that we could get into. I hate complaining about the refs. I've done way too much of it this year. But, man, there's been way more on the line than what feels like ever. And this defense still turned in Carolina's worst performance of the day. They are still a good offense. And, oh, my gosh, they were shut down the whole way. I mean – in the new school 2020 sense, you put any other team in Chicago's place and they're in danger for the entire game. But all this Bears defense needed was a seven-point lead and suddenly they just shut the door. Nothing says it better than the Panthers had a drive to go and tie the game with a touchdown and they immediately threw an interception. I mean, can, can you be any happier with how this defense played? And I mean, with a with a backup safety too, DeAndre Houston Carson coming onto the field, I believe they were running cover six, which is just cover four on one side, cover two on the other. And he was on the cover two side playing an underneath coverage. And Tayshawn Gibson comes too far over the top and you get a post route from Moore. And if DeAndre Houston Carson doesn't undercut that route, we could be looking at a touchdown in a tie game because he would have been wide open. And, you just, I mean, it doesn't get any better than a backup coming into the game and making a really special play like that. Back-to-back weeks, two of it. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Broke it up to end it last week and intercepted it to end it this week. 
Absolutely. What felt super special about this defense was that, again, this was a good Carolina offense. And between the 20s, you saw that in spades. They would go first and 15 off of a false start. Bang, 22 yards, first down. Bang, 14 yards. Like, they could move the ball. But once they got into the red zone, I don't know what clicked for the Bears' defense, but their execution meter just went off the charts, and anything they did worked. Carolina had no answers for what the Bears were able to do in the red zone. And Brandon, we've talked about it offline. It wasn't as if Pagano was throwing special coverages at at Carolina. Props to him. It was standard coverages. Just incredible execution that snuffed out everything the Panthers wanted to do. I think something easy. It's. I mean, it's easy to to say, but it's a lot better to. It's it's a lot easier to see when it's happening. The Bears haven't played with a lead really all year. They always are coming from behind to try to come back. This defense and this team is built to get a small lead and kill your quarterback. That's how they're built. That's, then you're allowing Akeem Hicks, uh, Khalil Mack, and one day soon hopefully Robert Quinn, and all these guys to just bear down, for lack of a better term, no pun intended, and just pin their ears back and go get the passer. That's what happened. Hey, I'll credit Teddy Robert Bridgewater. Go for it. Go ahead. Keep going. I mean, just Teddy Bridgewater is one of the fastest in the league at getting the ball out. He is ball snap, make the read, get the ball out. They got to him four times. I think he was sacked twice the whole rest of the year before this game. He doesn't hold on to the ball. Now, part of that is, yes, Jalen Johnson, Eddie Jackson, Kyle Fuller, Tashawn Gibson, it's a very hard defense to throw against, especially when my Back guy – Roquan. Yeah. But it's – especially when you factor in my guy Roquan Smith growing up in front of our eyes, you can't just do that against this defense. Mm-mm. And I, I, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but he was a, fir- a second or first-round pick from uh, Oakland a few years ago who's now playing a lot of three-tech, it looks like, when he's in the game with his first in a he's oh Mario Edwards Mario Edwards I was gonna say Mario Addison I knew it was the wrong Mario but his first step and his ability to even just play off of five teching Akeem Hicks you know it's it's things like that that just make you realize how good this defense is you have an an essential no fly zone behind you and you got guys that are stepping up not like Nick Williams who oops their way into six sacks last year but Mario Edwards is legitimately causing pressure every play. And, and even Quinn, for as much as him not getting sacks, he was he's this close. He's within inches almost every play he's out there rushing the quarterback. And I'll I'll just keep the keep the positivity train going. It's not just Edwards. I'll tell you what, when they allowed Bilal Nichols to play a one gap defensive line spot. He started to blossom. And this week, as he got involved on a couple of stunts, you guys all saw it. I saw it. He was all over Teddy Bridgewater. Mm -hmm. And again, Teddy Bridgewater is a really, really special kind of quarterback. And I I state that because there are going to be a whole lot of people who are going to say, Bridgewater, special? Yeah. I mean, when you've got athleticism like that to go along with the ability to generate those long plays off of yak coverage or yak balls, 
you're able to do a lot of things. There are tons of quarterbacks that wouldn't have produced near as much off the scrambles the Bears were leaving open as Bridgewater did. But credit to Nichols, he made a ton of plays, not only in contain, but also as a pass rusher, and he's bolstering a defensive line that's actually looking scarier and scarier every single week. I think getting back John Jenkins was really something that was overlooked because what he does is he allow he allows Nichols to only play three, five, four eye tech instead, so he doesn't have to wear on himself as much getting facing all those double teams. And even if John Jenkins isn't going to make all the plays, he's doing Goldman, Eddie Goldman's job. Mm-hmm. Against Carolina, he sure did. It's been awesome. And Danny, I want to go back and just spend a little bit of time on something that you referenced because I think he deserves it. If there was an apology, so somebody on Windy City Gridiron used to do a column that I loved. It was called Apologies I Want to Write. So before the season, he wrote a couple of people that he wanted to apologize to and then would say some things. Like, for instance, I'll give an example. I want to apologize to Jay Cutler when he throws a 4,000-yard season. At the moment, I can't. Something like that. Like, basically apologizing for doubting. I doubted Roquan Smith, and I have to apologize. Like, he is doing the unbelievable. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but an inside linebacker at pick number eight is starting to make value-related sense when he's doing what Roquan Smith can do. Roquan Smith is matching feet with DJ Moore for crying out loud. You can't throw a running back out route with Roquan Smith in the game. They're becoming these things. They're standard NFL collegiate style spread offense, like attitudes that just don't work anymore because Roquan Smith is too fast and too good at what he does to allow that. And this is, this is something special. It's not, I'm not going to go and say ridiculous things like even putting the name Erlacher into this moment because we aren't there yet. But what I will say is that a defense that bases itself around quality coverage from Kyle Fuller, Jalen Johnson, Eddie Jackson to, or to Sean Gibson and others, and also has a pass rush needs linebackers that can take that middle of the field away right now. Roquan Smith's doing it better than anybody in the league. And I feel very comfortable saying that. Yeah. Roquan, like I said, it, to put it nicely, he's really just growing up in front of us. Like, and it's one of those things, like, I didn't mean it hyper, hyperbolically when he came out of Georgia. He was historically productive in Georgia. There's a reason that he got drafted where he was. Now, did he live up to it the first year? A little bit. The second year, obviously, he fell off. And this year, the first couple of games, he kind of glimpsed and flashed. And then he had the Giants game. And then he wasn't good. And then he was, you know, he kind of took a step back against Tampa Bay again, too, where he overran some things. And then this was like the Giants game all over again, where he's running around, just hitting everything. And he's, he's like you said, he's matching feet with DJ Moore. He's taking away the deep middle. He's taking away your crossers where a big, a big in vogue thing in the NFL is where they're sending like guys in motion and snapping the ball as they're horizontally in motion. It's like taking the arena football league rule where these guys can go in motion vertically, but it's flipping on its head and saying, well, we can't do that, but we're going to let these slot guys and four, four athletes get ahead of steam before they can even get to get before the ball is even snapped and dare your linebackers to cover with it. So it's, it's a, it's a pleasure to see because he wasn't just good yesterday. He was phenomenal. 
And I hope that's what we see more going forward. Michael Lombardi always talks about when you, when your Mike linebacker is fast, your defense is fast. And I, I don't think anything shows more than Roquan Smith. He's playing as fast as he possibly can. Like, he, he was known as, like, a fast linebacker coming out, but he's, he's playing like that and, and, on, and then some. And on top of that, Brandon, he's noticeably bigger than he was at Georgia. He's, like, he's, he's grown up. He's filled out his frame, and he hasn't lost a step. Like, a lot of guys, he was maybe 225, 230 at Georgia. I'd venture a guess if he's pushing more 245-ish right now. That's, that's 10, 15 pounds on that frame and he's still as fast as he was coming out but now he's learning the nfl game that matters it matters a lot yeah the a play that rob showed showed me and dan before the before this podcast was he was inside leverage on dj Moore, and he was running a, a crosser out against roquan and they were in zone coverage and you saw roquan literally step for step keeping his inside leverage with DJ Moore and that is just that is not something you see from from any linebackers in the NFL you'll see it from a couple of safeties like Eddie Jackson but you really only see that from NFL corners so seeing that from a linebacker like like he he is now a difference maker a big difference maker for the defense in this new New NFL, not many linebackers are different difference makers, but he is one of the, those difference makers in this league. Yeah. As we move on from Roquan, I'm going to leave you with one pun for those who saw the picture surface across Twitter over the offseason. Him doing this is a little bit dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he, is, he is dangerous. As corny of a word as it is, and I know it is, Twitter dead gum. Uh, yeah, he's he is deadly. And I've got a theory I want to run by you guys because I think you'll find this really interesting, but we're going to have to do it after the break. Let's step aside for a second and we'll give our sponsors a word. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we are back, guys. Awesome stuff so far. I've loved talking about the defense. We'll get back to the offense in a second. But I have a theory about Danny Trevathan that's a little ridiculous. And it's unprovable, obviously. But I want to run it by you anyways. So I think we would all agree that to start out the year, Danny Trevathan looked a step slow. Was it mental processing? Was it foot speed? Hard to tell sometimes because they're so intertwined. But I have – but. Based on how he's played over the last two years, or two games, not years, where he has been nothing short of ferocious in the running game and at the point of attack, because he has been, I have a theory. What if Danny Trevathan looked a little slow because he was getting adjusted to 10, 15 pounds of extra muscle because he was gearing up to try to play Mike linebacker? Because if I process this new Trevathan as a Mike backer to back up Roquan Smith in a one gap scheme, it makes a ton more sense. Am I just off my rocker here or does that almost have a kernel of truth to it? I think you're 
I think it ha- might have a kernel of truth, but I think that's wishing something that probably isn't there. To be completely <laughs> honest, he he's a thirty-plus linebacker coming off multiple injuries, like a patella rupture, a broken arm, et cetera, et cetera. I, if that's the case, God, I hope it is. But he's he's better. Obviously, he's better than he was the first couple of weeks, and I think he's only going to get better as he gets more into quote unquote the the lovely training camp term football shape. Right, but. I- I hear you. I just yeah. have to point out that in 2018, Danny Trevathan was one of my favorite players. He was a great tackler. He was quick. He was like a mind reader in terms of his zone coverage ability. And he was able to beat guys to spots that didn't exist until the moment he was there. But he was kind of like Roquan Smith. Really easy to take him on with an, uh, with an, uh, an offensive lineman. Whereas this year, they're really struggling against him. He is sticking people. Like, I've seen him. Tight ends, offensive linemen. They go to take on Trevathan. He puts his head down. They don't get anywhere. It's, it's bizarre. It's much it more Kwiatkowski. And it, it really has me wondering whether this change in speed and this change in physicality are related in some way. Maybe it is, but and I'm sure Brandon can attest to this wanting to put a thump on someone and take on blockers and willing to really stick your nose in it for what it's worth. It's like defense and basketball. It's a mentality. It's not something you're just like, Oh, I, I gotta go do this. Like, no, you have to want to do that. Maybe it's more of an understanding that this is not how he has to live in this NFL. Maybe that's his understanding. I don't, I don't know. Maybe he's like, oh, you know, I, I'm no longer the four seven athlete I was. I'm closer to a five flat athlete. Well, you know what? I'm just going to start hitting things as well, hard as I can every time down. <laughs> well, Brandon, we pretend in both cases. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I would be. I, I I'm not. I was never a, like a physical guy. <laughs> you but... <laughs> never. <laughs> But yeah, you you definitely you definitely love to see it. I I think the one thing was that it was just one of those cases where he had just one of his bad games, and it just happened to be like the first game. And he's an older player, so people are just looking for him to take that decline. And it just it just happened to be the first game. So all those all those hyperbolic comments just came out, and so people just set that in their minds but they need to change that because he's playing really, really well. He's playing, he's playing really good football and not just good. It's complimentary to Roquan Smith. And for a defense that used to get away with running two wheel linebackers, basically behind two phenomenal two gapping linemen, this is exactly what we would need to see because love Roquan, even at this like potentially all pro level again, first time that's, actually left my mouth in a positive manner even then he's still not a block guy like he very similar to what was it the old criticism of Erlacher there I go saying it again he he's gonna struggle against offensive linemen and you want his partner to be able to take on those blocks full force this is literally I mean this is exactly what you want to see out of the second linebacker and hey bringing in the third safety so far two interceptions not so bad no it's not and just to kind of point something out with uh, Danny, it's Danny just before he did get hurt last year, he was arguably of the guys not named Akeem Hicks or uh, Khalil Mack was the best defender on the Bears defense last year before he broke his arm. Mm-hmm. It's not like he magically forgot how to play football. 
Right. He, I agree with he, that. He was playing a lot better than Roquan last year. He was, he was awesome last year before he got hurt. I don't think he's the same guy he was last year. I think he's a different guy, and I think it might have been what you said, Robert, where maybe he just decided to pick up some weight and just know his role, or it might have been some incarnation there of what I was saying. Maybe his mentality just changed. No, he's not the coverage backer he used to be, that he has to be more of a Kwiatkowski type of – God, for forgive the name, but like um, the the Bengals guy who just who's been suspended for the rest of his career. Oh, perfect, perfect, Fontas. <laughs> yeah, crazy guy. Maybe he's just got that understanding now. If if he has to exist in the NFL, this is who he has to be. It's like when a great athletic player in the NBA just his athleticism is sapped. What's he gonna do now? Well, gotta learn to shoot. Mm-hmm. This is my lifestyle. Like, and. And whatever, exactly, and whatever has happened, whatever it is, this defense, health permitting, which is always the complication, looks nasty. And when, as we probably get into, do y'all want to, do y'all have any burning thoughts about the offense we need to talk about? I mean, Darnell Mooney. Absolutely not. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, (laughs) that. I will say the offense looks discombobulated. Hopefully that comes a little more together because I would say out of every three plays, we run it badly once, we guess at their coverage in passing once, and it doesn't work. And then we have one moment of beautiful execution. And as unsustainable as that sounds, it actually sustained pretty decent drives, and the Bears didn't go three and out until the very end of the game. So could the play calling get better? I'm never going to say no, but it's definitely above the waterline right now. Could the execution get better? A hundred percent. That's probably below the waterline between the running game and the passing game. And that's, again, I've been saying this for three weeks now, where I want to see Nagy demonstrate the most progress. Please, can this team not make dumb mistakes? But getting, like, as we move into the Rams game, they're going to need to not make dumb mistakes because this is... It is such a weird game, guys. I said this on my Twitter feed earlier, like yesterday, but the if you look at it, the Los Angeles Rams versus Chicago Bears in prime time has been a defining game for both teams in each of the last two seasons. Primarily the Bears, though, I'd say. 12-4 and four season, they beat the Rams out of nowhere. That was the establishment game. Absolutely nobody believed in the Bears, and that was where people started whispering those two magic words everybody loves to hear, Super Bowl. Conversely, in 2019, the Rams ended the Bears' season. I don't know about you guys, but I was thinking, hey, maybe they get it together. But then they came out in Los Angeles. Los Angeles did everything they could to give that game away. I remember multiple interceptions, turnovers, free first downs off penalty off of like special teams actions all that good stuff, and yet the Bears' offense couldn't muster up any more than seven points, which pretty accurately described the 2019 season's, like, 8-8 eight and eight result. Here they are, 5-1. and one. They get to go to Los Angeles looking for redemption out of 2019. And you know what? If there's one thing on their side, it's that I'm pretty sure that if you turn out the lights, Jared Goff gets scared that Khalil Mack might be in his closet. And that gives the Bears not fear of Mack, but his – trouble with pass rush in these bright lights just like we saw in san francisco that gives the bears a shot here i don't know if their offense has has to do much they just have to do something anything might even be the word and they have a 
a weird shot against a team that hasn't beaten anybody but anybody in the NFC East, again, who has, I believe, five wins between them. Somebody can fact-check me on that here in week six. And two of them have come against each other. So bad division has propped up the Rams. What do you guys think about this game? I think it's going to be very reminiscent of the last meeting in 18 where you're probably not going to see many points scored. The difference is you don't have James Daniels having the game of his life against Aaron Donald and making his life very hard. I still, and I know we've talked about it before on the show, Robert. I, I don't think golf's really any good. I've never really thought he was all that good. It's not that he can't throw the foot. He's one of the best throwers of the football in the NFL. And that's, it sounds stu- – oh, the why he can't you play quarterback, Dan? Well, there's a lot more that goes into playing quarterback than making your first read like Sean McVay tells you to do and throwing it if it's open. Like, there's a lot more that goes into it. I don't think he can read a defense. It's the same issue we had with Mitch here in Chicago. The difference is he's had better playmakers to keep him propped up, a better line to protect him, and he, he's a better thrower of the football. So, yeah, he's going to inherently look a little bit better. I worry that they've got a lot of running backs that can play in, in, in L.A. Darrell Henderson's a real running back. He hasn't had that game where he was like at Memphis averaging like eight yards a carry his final year there. Cam Akers is a problem if he gets some touches. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the third guy, but they've got three running backs they could legitimately throw in there and cause problems for you, especially because the Bears – really haven't been all that great against the run. I don't know where my head is. My, my heart is leaning bears. My head doesn't know where to go yet in terms of if I had to make a quote-unquote prediction. But I think it's going to be a almost like a late 90s, early 2000s version of a football game where it's going to be kind of ugly offensively, I think, on both sides. And I think Aaron Donald's going to be just making a nice little bed in the bears' backfield. Yeah, I'd be worried about – I'm definitely worried about the Rams running the ball because they've, they've run the ball a lot better than they did last year. And Malcolm Brown. That, Sorry. <laughs> that, just that's came a way to brain. take off uh, <laughs> take off the pressure of, of golf is by running the ball because they have such a great play-action game. And not really they – have, they have good receivers, but I like – I don't – like everyone always talks about Robert Woods being an underrated receiver, which I think – he might be based on like the national audience, but he, he's not really a guy that, that scares you. Darrell Henderson on the, on the other hand, he, he's a guy that can scare you because he's, he's really fast. And when he gets in the open field, I mean, he's like, like Dan said, he's a problem. So and I think he's, stopping all, he's got that one cut and go speed too. He's not right, like yeah, someone's exactly. going to dance. If he gets his one cut and he's upfield, good luck catching him. Exactly. He's, he's, he's the exact fast. opposite of uh, Montgomery. What has become nice for the Bears, in my opinion, is that what looked like a terrible run defense is it seemed like they tried to have Nichols and Roy Robertson-Harris literally replace Goldman, like in that nose tackle spot. They've, they've varied away from that. And now I, I consider it like a uh, – like the stars have to align. You have to get either Bilal Nichols or Roy Robertson Harris out there at that defensive end spot with Roquan Smith over their backs to key a big rug. 
Because if you don't, you have to tango with Danny Trevathan, who has stuffed a lot of runs. You have to tango with Khalil Mack, who is stuffing a lot of runs. Akeem Hicks, stuffing a lot of runs. John Jenkins, not doing a bad job either. There are enough run stuffers, just pointing it out based on the film for the last few weeks, where it feels like any running game against the Bears is weirdly spotty. And Carolina's is a perfect example. It wasn't five yards, five yards, five yards, five yards, five yards. It was 10 yards, 12 yards, loss of one, zero, one, 12 yards, eight yards, loss of one, nothing, nothing again, nothing again, three yards. It was weird. And if that keeps going against the Rams, they may do what every team before them has done, which is kind of move away from the run. Not because they don't trust it, but the coaches love to pass. And at the end of the day, Sean McVay is a passing coach. And that gives me a lot of hope that if the Bears can just even slow the roll a little bit, McVay may pivot away for no other reason than he goes back to what he's comfortable with. Well, God bless you if you want to put the game in Jared Goff's arm. Right. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Have fun with that. It's, you know, sounds like a tremendous idea. And at the end of the day, what I think, and I've come into this game, I'm so curious about what y'all think of this. If there's one player I think needs to play huge in this game, it's Anthony Miller. The Rams obviously can take away Allen Robinson. I don't want to mess with the Jalen Ramsey, Allen Robinson matchup. Yeah, I respect. Uh, not only do I think that Allen Robinson's had, uh, it, it, to call it a down year is not fair because he's still been really good, but he used to, especially in 2018, he'd make every play right here. I Ramsey's a really good corner and he's probably better than Allen Robinson and that's okay to say but Anthony Miller Darnell Mooney therefore need to come up because Corey Littleton or we don't have Tariq Cohen anymore we can't victimize the Corey Littleton Cohen matchup that everybody likes to say went in the Rams favor and it didn't but the Bears have to find something on offense and it's got to be in the quick passing game I can't think of it going anywhere else but Miller Right, because you can't, you definitely can't expect to run the ball. No, let's just so be honest. It's, it's, it's just a problem. And I, I really, I, as much as I love Yolo Foles, I, I just want him to stay away from this game. I, like, I don't want him throwing those Yolo passes because I think that's he's really going to make it. it. He's going to do it. Just, just <laughs> limit it to one or two throws. One or two throws, max. My God, that's like asking Jay Cutler to care. <laughs> yeah, I it's it's just it's that's gonna be the make or break plays are golf getting under pressure, fumbling the ball, or throwing it in, into Eddie Jackson's hands, or Foles doing it. So we mm-hmm. just it that those are gonna be the plays that matter. It's it's a weird game because it's like you can walk into this one saying we've got to score a pittance, we've got to score sixteen points, and we might win. Like both sides can walk into this game saying. All we need, like two touchdowns, five field goals. Doesn't really matter. You, you just got to put points on the board because as long as a zero is sitting there, the other team is winning. It's not like other NFL games where you can assume that they're eventually going to score. It doesn't work that way. With the Rams and the Bears, every single point matters. And so like you're saying, if all he's got to do is do exactly what he did against Carolina, Foles in this case, and just – take eight yards, take four yards, take six yards, take eight more yards, take 11 yards, and just inch his way down the field. At this point, I'm starting to trust Cairo Santos a little bit. So just don't give the ball away. And, yeah. and again, 
like the analytics work for every team except Chicago at this point. I know everybody's saying field goals don't matter. They sure do here because our defense is gatekeeping tons of people in the red zone and field goals are almost starting to look like touchdowns at this point. Yeah, field goals don't matter and running the ball doesn't matter. That's what analytics Twitter has told me. So, And you know what? But we watched the Chiefs last night salt away a game because they're running the football. Man, that's a tough thing to learn. It's almost like football works in unison with each other. It's weird how that works. It's not like you can just pass 100 times a game and just completely ignore the run and vice versa. I will say in that game last night, the the pass did set up the run. It did, but I'm saying there's a a segment of a certain portion of football analysts, film digesters, whatever. Football nerds, we'll call them. I'm a football nerd. We're football nerds on on this show that believe running the ball in and of itself is stupid in every way, shape, and form, and you should only pass, 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 pass. Use a short passing game to set up the – the long passing game and it, there's no such thing as a running game anymore that's like the complete ridiculous end of it just like the people who believe you can get off the bus running in 2020 my friends hey i mean that's that's the skin of it isn't it is that everybody looks at everything in a black and white manner mm-hmm. i mean i know that you're reading that but a whole lot of people are just trying to make sure that we don't have coaches on fourth and 15 from the opponent's 35 punt the ball away because they don't trust their kicker like, at some point, you got to go for these things. And sure, maybe Arian's going for it on his own 19 last week is a bit is a bit more than I would like. But I, I loved I, it. <laughs> I, love, I love that aggression. I am so scared of my own offense. And it has made me into a spot where, look, I want to see good offense so badly. But I am starting to hit this point where it's third and nine and and the opponent's dropping into quarters coverage, and Nick Foles reads it perfectly, lofts a perfect little ball, 17 yards to Allen Robinson, easy pickup, and I go, oh, wow, that's easy. That that calmed me down a lot more than I thought it would, and, and I didn't see it coming. It's, it's a weird time to be a Bears fan because n- normally we grind these games out with running. Now we have to grind it out everybody's least favorite way by throwing the ball, and it's still a grind. They're like still well, gonna be tough games, I mean, but would it not be a Bears season if it were that way? Just where I'll, every game feels like it's gonna make you want to have a heart attack. <laughs> I'll tell you what, this is looking to me the more I stare at it like a more and more and more winnable game, both this one and the Saints game. And I really think the Bears, I'm not gonna say the word should here, but they could come out with a win in either. Maybe both if they heat up their execution. If they go one and two over this stretch, I'll be happy. Yeah, that's, that's just, the expectation. And that's a really crappy expectation to have set. Like, oh, well, it's three games or five and one. You should at least win two. No, win one. I'll be happy. The Chiefs <laughs> go six and zero, oh, And even then they lost to the Raiders. I mean, in the NFL, there's a certain point, right, where the waves break against you. Yeah. You can't win all your games. <laughs> and, like, this is a perfect stretch to lose a few. The 72 the- Dolphins would like a word with you. I know, right? But I'd rather not lose to the Vikings or Lions, so let's let probability lie where it is, and we can drop a game to the Titans, who look hotter than anybody right now. But these two games, the Rams and the Saints, I do think they'll tell us a lot. What do you think, Bray and B? Yeah, I mean, I I think this game 
I'm a lot more worried about just because the Rams can actually can actually run the ball and the, the Saints have struggled a little bit. And especially Drew Brees, I mean, I don't want to use the word washed, but he, he has a bit of a, he has a, bit of a th- noodle arm. Right I now. think that arm is cooked. He's a little <laughs> – let's put it this way. Uh, he's damper than he used to be. Maybe People not. were calling for Jameis last week. Yeah, that, I think part of the problem was he was he was content with retiring. There's a report that came out that he was content with retiring, and then they convinced him to come out of retirement. And if you know anything about Drew Brees, is he's a he's a workout warrior. So usually during the offseason, he's working out every single day of the week. But since he was thinking about retirement, he wasn't doing that. So I think you you've seen that lack of preparation this season. Well, that and you know being 40 plus years old just isn't it's good for, isn't good for the old body doesn't seem to affect know. tom brady who put um, the bears in the lead for the division sole possession of first place my friends all we got to do is win one more game and i can send one more email to my packer fan pastor i can't wait. i just i just want to throw <laughs> a couple of numbers out there for you guys okay here we go do it the last time the Bears had three wins where they came back from 10 or more points down, 1985. Really? The last time the Bears <laughs> won a Super Bowl, 1985. The last time a Bears had a quarterback wearing number nine in the Super Bowl, 1985, my friends. Super Bears, Super Bowl. Super Bears, Super Bowl. I God, I can't even take myself seriously. <laughs> you know – it's and yes, Robert, that's a real stat. They're, that's the last hilarious. Time they came back from ten plus points down three times for victories in the same season was nineteen eighty five. You know what? You bring up something that I think is worth closing the show out with. So strap in because I'm oh, so curious as to what y'all have to say. Sit back, relax, and strap it down. November third is a big day. It's my birthday, as well as another notable thing happening called the presidential election. But also, it's the trade deadline, Julie and nothing's, coming for you. nothing's becoming more popular than talking about the Bears and what they're going to do with the deadline. And of course, it's a super weird conversation because the Bears have been resource-strapped for years, and they may very well need all of their resources in this offseason because depending on how this team goes, they could be in the hunt to sign a Dak Prescott type. Like, they'll need their cap at that point. So just about any trade that they would make would either harm their cap or it would harm their draft pick stock or anything else. But you got this problem in your left guard spot. And frankly, you could, I mean, you could upgrade almost any of these offensive linemen and you'd probably not be like looked badly at. And it makes me wonder guys. So whether it's a skill position player or like some have said, trying to sign like a Jared Grady type where you trade for him or anything else, is there a move at the deadline that you want to see or are you looking to stand pat? I think they should definitely look at a low end offensive guard. As you, as you said, they need as much cap space as they possibly can get because no one knows what the cap, the salary cap is going to look like next year. So, I mean, needing a new quarterback is should be their number one priority in getting one. So I think they can, there's going to be a lot of options they can look at. Um, skill position-wise, I cannot see them really adding anybody just because it takes so long to, to get things moving in this offense, and they, they like Mooney quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, 
the the left guard thing, if you can get one for a conditional pick or even like a late round pick, just so he's not so he's rosterable and not Rashad Coward, I'll be happy. Like I don't know who that guy is or if he even exists at this point, but you might be able to get Zach Fulton for like a conditional six out of Houston because they're not win- they're not going to the playoffs this year more than likely. Mm-hmm. Like. I believe he has a base salary of like two million dollars. So yeah, he would, and he, he and, he, ex, well. and he expires after the year. I, 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 that's just off the top of my head. I, I haven't done any research on this. The only thing, if I'm if you're trying to compete and do something, I know B said the not wide, not necessarily adding a wide receiver. Like, yes, John John Ross would be nice. Would he play? Probably not. We've seen the midseason traded receivers a lot in the past. They don't play a lot, especially in the offenses like Nagy's because there's just so many complexities and nuances within the same offense. This mm-hmm. team misses Tariq Cohen Badly. in the worst way imaginable. And I understand I'm a big Cordero Patterson. I think we're actually the Cordero Patterson fan club on this show. We all like Cordero Patterson. Mm-hmm. You need another real running back. I know Cordero, you could, you want to give Cordero more touches. I want to see a guy who's a legitimate NFL running back playing back there, not a guy well, who's a return man and a running and a wide receiver masquerading as a running back. I know I'm probably in the minority on that, but serviceable NFL running backs aren't that hard to find off the scrap heap. They're it'll just be not. interesting to see if uh, Lamar Miller gets activated to the well, active yeah, roster. If, if it's Lamar Miller, fine, great. But I'm saying I need to see somebody else because you've got like two different tails of the tails of the coin or sides of the coin rather. Cordero has no sort of running back vision. It's where if it's supposed to go through the through the through the four hole, it's going through the four hole. I don't care if the hole is actually there. Montgomery apparently is got a magnet to Corey Whitehair, where wherever or Cody Whitehair, wherever Whitehair is at, he's gonna just kind of gravitate right to him and come hell or high water that's where he's going I don't know why I I don't know I don't think he has bad vision he didn't show bad vision at Iowa State it doesn't seem that he has bad vision now I just think he's a weird decision maker and for whatever reason he goes right to white hair he wants to run inside like yeah every play he likes cutting the ball up that's what I've seen yeah he's Mm -hmm. always cutting the ball up. so and you can't really live in this way of you you some at some point need a way to 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 improvise and at the same time not over try to overdo it right like it's it sounds dumb but in a sense i would like someone who can if you can even just do a power play every now and again where where a big bigger back gets three yards and you know he's going to get three yards because he's 230 pounds i would like you to do that Mm -hmm. it's complicated because like if you asked what i want to do i want to win football games like, I want right. to win as many football games as we can. What do I think we should do? Nothing at the deadline. Not really. Like, we, we probably could use all the cap space we could do. What am I comfortable doing? Because it's not my decision. So what am I going to get upset about? Well, honestly, if you did anything ridiculous, like trading for Zietler or even like Cincinnati's Billy Price, some slightly more expensive options and Price would come over as a center. At that point, you'd move white hair, try to see if he could rejuvenate his career at either right or left guard because nothing's tied to Jermaine Afedi. You're not going to hear me complain. I, I don't know if I'll defend it because obviously it would need to work. But right now, the Bears' best offensive lineman is just okay. 
average would be the word that you'd use. And their worst is so beyond replacement level that it makes you wonder what in the world did Alex Barr say to Matt Nagy? Because there almost seems to be something personal there. Obviously I'm being hyperbolic for fun when I say that, but I, I do want to separate. There are a lot of guys like Brad Spielberger, Cap Wizards that are very clear about what they're going to be happy with and what they're going to be upset with. And I live with a lot more gray area. There are these windows where I would say, it's not what I would do, but I'm not about to complain about it. Very similar to how I ended up landing on the Nick Foles thing, where I don't know if he's who I would have traded for, but you know what? He looked better than Dalton did, for instance. So all this to say that as long as the Bears don't end up missing their shot at a quarterback that could change the franchise, like even if they end up extending absolutely everybody on the roster, pushing everything into 2040 for all I care to get Dak Prescott, if they're able to win games and get the quarterback thing and extend Allen Robinson, I don't really care. It just yeah. depends on if the just, first thing comes across the other. Just kind of rehashing the left guard thing. You can, you can get them for literally off the scrap heap. Cordy Glenn is available. He's 31. He played under Castillo in Buffalo. He's played at both guard and tackle and started majority of the games in his career. He's played in 97 games, started 95 of them. I, I don't know if he's, I don't think he's any good anymore, but you said like you, you, you put it best, Rob, he's <laughs> cowards, not rosterable. And no, they just need to bring in somebody. And, and at a certain point, you got to just see if, if somebody's got something. Like and as we know, we all pined and oh, and complained like why isn't Snacks Harrison here? And Snacks Harrison ended up signing a practice squad deal and still hasn't gotten called up to Seattle. Exactly. And, and no one's poached him. So the, the whole COVID offseason has our brains underwired because any move actually does come with a pretty significant personnel cost. Is not only do they have to coach them up, but they have to get them in shape. You can't go out and sign the Larry Warfords because Snacks Harrison ended up looking more like full meal Harrison by the time he came into camp. And so it's, it's just real weird. And of course we understand that it's weird, but Hey, I mean, we're a podcast, so we might as well shoot the stuff about trade deadline deals. It'll be weird seeing what the bears do at the end of the day. I am starting to hit the point where if offensive line isn't the first pick of our 2021 draft, I will be mad about it because I get that everybody wants to start fresh with the young rookie quarterback, but I do think that there are free agent options or Nick Foles as unenthusiastic as that does sound that you could hold yourself over with until you get the line fixed a little bit because no quarterback succeeds behind a bad offensive line and with the age curve the way that it is we are quickly shifting in that direction at least it feels like that to me well as as we all know pace only takes best player available you saw that with the colt commit commit oh my god baby (laughs) gronk my friends (laughs) Hey, you know, I, I'm, I'll credit the kid. He doubled his catches. We, will, <laughs> we can wait and see a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to see a little more Cole Komet and even just earning his snaps because at this point, it's not what you'd love to see, but rookie tight ends in the NFL are obviously a weird gamut. Either way, guys, I think we've just about covered it and then covered it again. So do you all have any final thoughts before we close up? I, I got one. I, I'm going to give a quick shout out to Cairo Santos because it's one thing we, since we in Chicago, have opined and complained and bitched and moaned and 
everything under the sun about is why can't we find a kicker? I don't know how good Cairo Santos is, but hats off to the kid who clearly seems like he's finally recovered from that torn groin he had in Kansas City a couple years ago. And it sounds dumb, but anyone who's ever had a real injury before knows it takes a little bit of a mental game of knowing your body can do what it used to do pre-injury. And maybe he's finally reached that threshold, but hats off to him. He's, he buried a 55 yard field goal, 54 yard field goal, whatever it was with probably seven to eight yards left on it. And he's looked legitimately good the past few weeks. And it's, it's a nice change of pace where I don't feel like I'm having a heart attack now when he walks out there. I'll, I'll jump in on that. A lot of people undersell how good a kicker is. Like, not, not just in, in analytics, not just the three points thing, but the, the one that always comes to my mind is Greg Zerlone is the reason that the Los Angeles Rams, as well as some other spotty things that Saints fans are still mad about to this day, we all remember it, but uh, Greg Zerloin hit a 48-yarder to tie the game, sent it into overtime, and then got asked to hit a 57-yarder, which he drilled. Like, these, these matter. There's a reason Adam Vinatieri is a legend. It's because of what he did as a kicker in these big moments. And Cairo Santos coming in at the end of the half to hit a 55-yarder with space in the inner third. Pat Manley's talked about that. And it's something that Pinheiro's not done a great job with. He'll kind of spray it to both ends of the pipe in all situations. And I didn't know how much to care. But when you hear the man himself telling you, you want to be in the inner third, makes a lot of sense. Cairo Santos, before his injury, was in that Will Lutz, Greg Zerloin, very good kicker category. Yeah, it's Matt, one of those. Sorry. I just, no, go ahead. We, you can jump we, in uh, we just – I think we, as Bears fans, took for granted how good gold was. And then when we saw the year of regression from him, we realized how bad it was. And then you see teams like L.A., like Baltimore, like – Kansas City, the guy that replaced Cairo and took his job, Harrison Butker. Detroit, those, Matt Prater's great. Yeah, Matt those Prater guys, hits anything. But you're naming the five or six best kickers mm-hmm. at their job in the world. Yes. Every, look Seriously, do yourself – give yourself a giggle and just look at the bottom tier kickers. Every week, NFL teams have the cavalcade clown car of kickers coming in to try out to see if one of them magically got good at football. Just it's it's wild, but it's like because you see the top five or six at their job doing their job, it's like, well, why can't we find that? Like, mm-hmm. and it's not that easy. Kicking a field goal is hard. Anyone normal, go to your local high school field and try to kick a 20 yard field goal. Look at how far away that is at 66 feet or 20 times three, 60 feet. I made it a pitching mound instead of a normal 20 yard, so 60 feet. That's a long distance to kick a football, at least 10 feet in the air. And then you realize a guy like Justin Tucker, who's the best in the world at what he does, is doing this 9.5 out of every 10 tries. It's insane. (laughs) It's wild. So just like I said, hats off to Cairo. He's been good. Brandon, anything from you? Just keep winning. Winning's all that matters. I'll be the uh, I'll A-W-B. gladly take them as the worst six and one team in the history. I do not care mm-hmm. as long as they keep winning. Okay. Because guess what? Being the best one and four team didn't do anything for the Minnesota Vikings. Like at some point, just doesn't matter anymore. But yeah, guys, it's been awesome. Well, 
Windy City. We will see you guys soon. This has been me, Robert Schmitz, Danny Meehan, and Brandon Robinson, bringing you the best Bears content that we can. If you liked the show, be sure to give us a rating. Let us know what we're doing right. Let us know where we can improve. We love hearing your feedback. And until next time, Bears fans, thanks so much for hanging out with us, and we will see you on Sunday. Bye-bye.